0: Welcome to 10 Cities for a Penny, the show where we talk about mild music mags and culture and stuff. In Jackson, Maine. Well, I put off doing a dedicated Weezer episode as long as I could, but because it's been 25 years since 1994 and the Blue Album, I just couldn't wait any longer. So Noyanne Hilmi and Pablo Bertucci are back to talk about Rolling Stone 1994 with a cover story on Steven Tyler that we totally ignore. In this issue is a small feature on a new band called Weezer that we should all check out and we'll talk about that a lot, but also features on Daniel Johnson and a band called Blur who are gaining a little momentum. 1994 was my favorite year for music, and if the review section in this issue alone tells us anything, it's how many monumentally great albums came out that year. But the Blue Album has a special place in my heart as arguably my favorite album of all time. There's a great deal I could say about my listening experience with this record. Morosely listening to Only in Dreams all day while pining over the fact that Becky, a gorgeous girl in grade 12 who got drunk and made out with me, a boy in grade 9, didn't want to be my girlfriend when she was sober the next day. But how about we just join the moment that was 1994 and talk about all things blue. I would like to say that this is probably where... uh, you know, Drew Barrymore's dating history, like, you know, <laughs> rock stars truly started her and Eric Erlandson. I totally forgot about this relationship yeah. until I opened this, but <laughs> this is the, uh, like, that picture, and I'll post it, everyone, is like the yes. epitome of the alternatine like, yeah. alternative g- post grunge couple, like 1994 couple. Yeah. It's so beautiful. That's Eric Erlandson looks like this cute surfer boy, and he never, <laughs> ever does. So he looks so healthy. Yeah. He looks great. That's yeah. the best picture I've ever yeah, seen. I,
1: I didn't even recognize him. I was like, who's that? Yeah. Exactly.
0: I was like, is this just the surf champion that she's dating?
1: <laughs> it's just all those whole press photos that he looks miserable and sad and, yeah. and kind of, you know, unhealthy. Can you, yes, look, you would
0: be. Yeah. yeah you're but, working with Courtney Love. So yeah. But
2: nothing, I feel like nothing dates a magazine more than, like, whatever's considered a hot couple. Uh-huh. And, like, this photo really kind of makes me go, it feels very time-capsuled. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Especially Drew Barrymore's hairstyle too, which was like I a know. super 90s girl kind of thing. I had a thing. massive crush on her <laughs> during this era. Yeah, you exactly. and everyone else. Yeah, no, it was just me. <laughs> it was
1: just me. It was just <laughs> you. That was like mad love era, Wayne's World era. Sure.
0: Yeah. Drew Barrymore just kind of being a little Drew Barrymore brand, she was just really cute and just fit in so perfectly with like the young pop culture of the time yeah all right enough about her (laughs) (laughs) that's Uh, all we can and another thing yeah. yeah this is 1994 stones uh them making you know yet another one of their like
2: massive worldwide well, tours yeah
0: i mean the stones you never want to say like they've made a comeback it's just always like okay here's the new stones and they're gonna push this but major they sell
2: thing. it to you like that like yeah oh here it they're is yeah. Yeah. there's a big you know
0: the one thing i can say about the stones in this era and their song like love is strong off of this record which was voodoo lounge is that the director of the do you remember the music video did you watch
1: it's, it? It's it's in my brain somewhere. Okay. Yeah.
0: It's a really stylish, cool music video. And I knew it was directed by someone huge, and it was directed by David Fincher. Oh, wow. So oh, wow. David Fincher. And then we'll go through this magazine, and we'll also see another guy named Lucas. And right. And his big kind of claim, I mean, like, he, he had this one-hit wonder. We can talk about it in a sec. But his video was Michelle Gondry. Right. So that was, like, the big thing. Like, that was one of the first... American Michel Gondry videos that, like, pretty much...
2: And it's a great music video. Yeah,
0: it's it's excellent. Yeah. Two black and white videos we've just talked about right now. Right. <laughs> and then we'll move a few pages later and we'll get to Weezer. Yeah. And that was Spike Jones. But the thing I was going to say was, so these were considered, like, the three music video generation big directors. Like, these are the people, like, when you consider, you know, um, which became, like, a big trend, yeah, like, la- like, later on... Uh, the the start of people who were um, really stylish, like a touristic uh, video directors who k- went on to like massive um, yeah. artistic careers. Yeah.
1: It really makes me wonder what I know the music video world is quite different now because it's more of a YouTube thing. It's not like we're just watching them on much music. It's the only thing to watch. You kind of watch it when you want to watch it instead of having it be curated for you when you get home from school or whatever. Right. Like what directors are out there that are kind of shooting music videos for up and coming bands that are really going to be those really big directors in a few years, you know, is that, is that like Drake's director X is that yeah. going to be like an Oscar winning director in like five years or something? You I, know? I
0: don't know. Who's to say, I mean, like you think you would have kind of seen that already, although I think it's veered away because, um, John and I were actually talking about this recently like say like I think we were talking about the same sort of subject of Spike Jones and uh, Michelle Gondry and these people who like all these people of the '90s like tons of people who all made their mark directing music videos and then went on to like television and film. Um, is that really happening anymore? We tried to kind of look it up. We're like, is that happening with like music video directors? But all this, all the same music videos aren't really a big deal anymore. Like they were to us where like, it was like this super tastemaker. You only had one channel showing it. I feel like the people who are, are, who are going on to be directors are like kind of YouTube personalities or like making short things on YouTube and building a channel and then moving on from there. Like Bo Burnham. I I think sure. Yeah. Right.
1: Budgets have changed a lot too, because I, I feel like most of the really big budget eye catching music videos that you'll ever see now are like, a still like a miley cyrus or like a beyonce or something that's really really big mainstream major label yeah um as opposed to every other artist that's not really big is essentially shooting really really cheap videos yeah 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 know? absolutely so like the middle has kind of like disappeared there whereas i think that in the in the 90s it was different i think that there were really big budget that's like yeah. michael jackson shooting the black and white video for a million dollars yeah. was like a, a really big yeah. story, right? And
0: uh, what's it? Uh, TLC Waterfalls was a
1: million too. Right. So And, and then that was
0: F. Gary Gray, who went on to make uh, Friday and uh, uh, Straight of Compton and everything. Right.
1: And then, so I don't think that directors really are seeing possibly directing music videos for up-and-coming bands really being the same kind of launch pad for their,
0: no. their aspiring careers anymore. No, that's, that's, that's a... That's a very 90s, 80s thing. yeah. Super true. 90s. Super 90s. Yeah.
2: So that's what you think of when you think of the Rolling Stones. When I think Voodoo of Lounge. this album, I, I think of that
0: video because I certainly wasn't really because going beyond that video at this time.
2: It's funny because I don't think of anything like super artistic. I just think the first concert I ever went to was the Rolling Stones Voodoo Lounge and um I went with my brother and my parents and my aunt and my uncle uh-huh. and I was fourteen years old and Stone Devil Pilots opened for them. Really? And it was the first time I'd ever smelled weed before. I didn't know what it was. <laughs> what and it was just th- Yeah, exactly. And it was like these people were right behind me and they had a they had a giant like Tupperware <laughs> filled with like paper and like weed basically. And it was just bros. like a weed factory <laughs> right behind me. And I was getting, like, I I don't know, I wouldn't say, like, a second-hand high, but it was, like, it was a lot of weed for a (laughs) 14-year-old, you know?
1: I really wonder how your parents were feeling about that as it was happening (laughs) right behind you, because that's it's a different era. Like, marijuana was, yeah highly illegal. Yeah. I Um, think
2: my parents would have been more, like, because they were, like, Rolling Stones fans and, like, grew up in the 60s and 70s. I I think they would have just thought, ah... This it's good that they're just exposed to this early and then while we're around. Did you see them? <laughs> yeah, did yeah. you see them take
1: any any? Uh, <laughs> any I, yeah. didn't
2: that. I didn't see it. Was didn't the joints going around <laughs> and the way they getting passed? My dad the aisle? said he smoked, but he didn't inhale. So. Oh yeah,
0: your dad was Bill Clinton. <laughs> <laughs> that's it the right era. Which yeah.
2: is <laughs> funny enough, he's mentioned in this issue as yeah, well. Yeah, an article Yeah, on yeah on
0: there's uh, a Bill Clinton uh, uh, article in on this one too.
2: Anyway, that's what I think when I think of Voodoo Lounge. I just <laughs> think of that one, th- the secondhand exposure to weed. Very That's nice. I it.
0: really
1: dislike having the "Love Is Strong" song stuck in my head. <laughs> <laughs> I really like right I now. R- it's in my head right now. <laughs> it is the me too. It's It's just. It's just terrible. I really don't. Do you like not that like, like song. that song? I don't like that. I. I think that back then, I was like tolerant of it, but I. I don't think it's. A, it's a kind of an annoying. It's song. so
2: well past their prime. It's actually it's quite like long. Mm-hmm. I
0: feel. <laughs> it kind of keeps going on and on and on. <laughs> but it's a really typical stone song. just I mean, they just they've found this formula. The, the stones have just been doing the same thing yeah. <laughs> for, for 30 <laughs> years. I can't even name, like how many more albums? How can you possibly anticipate a Rolling Stones album at this point?
1: I, I wonder if a Rolling Stone like someone that's really like The Stones in 2019 is like, "I wish they'd play some of their old stuff, and that is "Love is Strong." Yeah, yeah. Pat's going to the show I, next week. And he's like, I hope they play "Love Is Strong."
0: Yeah. I'm turning the page here for a person who really loves 1994. This magazine, this issue, is just like absolutely blowing my mind. So we haven't even scratched the surface yet. We talked about the Rolling Stones. They're the first little article where you're just like, let's get these guys out of the way, you know, because you know we all know about the Rolling Stones. We'll give them their feature. The second one after that. Is about Daniel Johnston and Daniel Johnston trying to make his 1994 kind of push into the mainstream. So he's a major cult hero, and you know I think the the most famous thing about him of the 90s probably was that Kurt Cobain wore his shirt, totally. like his uh, "Hi How Are You" album cover shirt. Um, but I think Daniel, I think Daniel uh, heard that Kurt was a fan, and he sent him that shirt. I'm pretty sure, and then Kurt wore it all the time
2: cool um, is there any iconic image you can reference in terms of kurt wearing it it was it on the cover of a magazine
0: oh, i think he wore it no he wore it to uh he wore it a lot of times like you can look was up it pictures like loser or something or? i'm you didn't wear well. He didn't play Lollapalooza, but I'm pretty sure he wore it to uh, MTV Video Awards. And it? there's a bunch of like promo on the red carpet of him right. wearing that. I can and, like, picture
1: the image like yeah when he had like almost like he had blonde hair and his kind of like almost bangs yeah and he's wearing like a light blue shirt yeah like, button up shirt and it's underneath his, yeah yeah.
0: So I mean that was the big thing. But Daniel Johnson is one of the most prolific, incredible people. And like I could do an entire you could do an entire podcast just talking about his career. It's insane. Um, hmm of him just being this like kind of cult hero through the eighties and then coming up into the nineties and they tried to make this push for him. Um, But Daniel was, he's a schizophrenic. So he, I think essentially throughout, through the eighties, he started hanging out with a bunch of guys like the butthole surfers and Sonic youth and like all these really amazing people that he was like hanging around with musicians and he ended up doing a bunch of acid with the uh, butthole surfers. And I think it, it twisted him like that. All uh, t- Yeah, I know. And honestly, that's, that's a trigger for schizophrenia. And he went schizophrenic. No way. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I, I'm not saying that that's like an absolute that he did acid and he went crazy. But it certainly, I think, played a part in it. And then he just like went downhill after that. He was this really sweet kid who was obsessed with writing songs and he couldn't stop. Hmm. and so he would just anything he would do you hear the these recordings of him in the 80s he was doing these like with a chord organ and it was the, just because his parents like kind of sent him to his brother's house for the summer because they just couldn't handle him being around anymore just like mm. making music and bashing around so they sent him to his brother's to try to straighten out and he found this crappy chord organ in his house and just made entire albums oh. out of it. and it made it's the most haunting beautiful music yeah. in the world I think world. That
2: that's it when I was listening to it I was like this guy is it's haunting. Yeah. It's like there's this weird like quality to it that's really powerful. And it's, I found it difficult to listen to Yeah, because of that. Because I'm like, wow, like this is almost too much for me <laughs> to so, handle.
0: I mean, and in this article, pretty much what happened was he gets a deal on Atlantic Records um, for this new album, Fun. And he made a deal, which is like no other in the entire world, where he pretty much said, I'll sign. And he got this deal to like not tour. Because he couldn't handle it, he yeah. just couldn't handle going on tour. So, right. like to have an, sign an artist and say, yeah. "Yeah, it's okay that you don't tour this," is pretty original.
2: You you hear stories about yeah. artists like that that what? every once in a while labels t- make an exception.
0: Yeah. So I think they wanted to be, do a big push. I think they really thought they could. I mean, obviously they thought they could do something with this guy. Right. And there was a lot of other people like Kurt Cobain and like Pearl Jam like talking about this guy. They thought, okay, let's let's give him a shot. Number one, he was nothing like those bands at the time. So I don't think his sound really fit in well to this era. It's a very like unique sound and uh for an artist just to not tour, like I don't know how like yeah. how you just don't promote your music. So this album tanked. It didn't go anywhere. And this was pretty right. much his one shot to like get Yeah. And by some touring stardom. You mean
1: like he also didn't do publicity or interviews or anything like not that. Not really, I don't think. Really no.
0: And he's, he's like 33 at this point too. Like he's, he's past his twenties. He's trying to make a push in his early thirties and it just didn't happen for him. Like he kept making music, he kept doing stuff. But I mean, like now this guy is pretty much, he just lives with his parents and just like maintains like he can't really function. Right. But it's, it's a shame. Like it's just, I don't know what to say. I don't know if this guy could have ever actually gotten like elliot smith style like i think he That's did get like an elliot of. smith but even elliot at the time like it's not like he was making tons of money or anything i don't know if this guy would have ever been like successful is what i'm trying to say like commercially and like actual monetary
2: i think he
1: could have just kind of held his own in those indie circles and been moderately right. successful enough to have that career and kind of yeah still
0: survive he could know? have had like a jonathan richmond kind of thing he could yeah. have just like kept going and been fine and but right, it's because he prolific, because right? of his mental illness and everything that held him back. It just wasn't gonna sure. happen. But
1: it's but he's still like highly respected. Sure, I know that like just you know we had mentioned that there was um, a documentary on him a few years ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know that there have been tribute albums. Uh, there's one tribute album that I listened to years ago that had a Bright Eyes covering and many other right. like really like A level indie artists. Um, yeah, absolutely. And you know there's a huge massive respect in the industry for. Daniel.
0: I think uh so the first time I ever actually heard him, because it was it was hard to hear stuff like this. I mean, I think I'd just seen Kurt Cobain wearing his shirt, but that still didn't like sell me. The first time I heard it, I was fifteen and he was on the kids soundtrack.
1: Oh okay. which is one yeah. of
0: the greatest soundtracks of all time. And it's pretty much all Lou Barlow like folk implosion, the entire record, and then like one Slint song and one Daniel Johnson song. So I found out about Slint and Daniel Johnson off of that. I'm so glad that you actually got that soundtrack because I obviously, everyone's
1: seen that movie, right? Yes, uh, I have. It's a crazy movie. Especially when you're it's a nuts movie. Yeah, um, yep. But you know, it, it was a different era. Like seeing Kirk Cobain wear a t-shirt that said the vipers or daniel johnson yeah. or whatever it is right it right it was did like you say the, the, the wipers
2: Oh, right? the wipers yeah yeah the they're similar yeah. but the they're wipers, yeah. similar to daniel johnson which is they didn't tour they didn't do anything and and he was just known the wipers were just known as a band for not touring and writing albums that like like people in the like seattle scene knew about and yeah he was influential without touring basically but see, the thing is, like Daniel Johnston is the kind of artist that in nineteen ninety four, you felt. I, in retrospect, I think like you feel like that's the kind of guy that maybe could make it. Mm-hmm. At that time, I felt it felt like any kind of like alternative artist can make it because right, yeah. it was such an explosion of so many different bands, so many great albums. It felt like these kind of artists, if they're supported by the right bands, might get a lot of shine yeah. and attention. Whereas now, that I just don't think it would never be possible. But in 1994, you, c- I could see why they think it would. You could but sign I, someone without I touring. Al- I also
1: don't know that sometimes, sometimes something is good, and everyone wants to make it more popular. But then when it becomes more popular, you know they mm-hmm. they put him in a recording studio. They they he was playing with um, really talented players, and you know whatever the marketing was, that's not really what
2: his no. vibe was, right?
1: Like no. so, it's it's different because like what was special it and took what away was his and charm. Yeah, it's I compare it like a little bit to like Hayden. Okay, right, so okay. Hayden in in this era as well, he was doing bedroom recordings, and they were really great. He was growing really really quickly, but. He, he got a major label deal with through like Neil Young's like Outpost Recordings and then they put him in a studio and then he put out a record and he hated it. And it oh made yeah? him It made him hate it. He was like Which record was that? That was um, The Closer I Get. Okay. So that was his first like big record like highly distributed bigger budget music videos all that kind of jazz and it was a good record um, but it wasn't what people loved about him. You yeah. know, like it was pr- too produced. Yeah, and he felt that as well. So much so that he basically disappeared for like five years, c- similar to right. like what like Weezer did. But then when he came back, he had built his own recording studio inside his house, so he could control that yeah. the medium, right? So it wasn't that he was going to let some some label or something push him into kind of changing his art. He was just going to do it himself. So I think like with Daniel Johnson pushing him to become more popular, it it didn't work because what was special about it was how shitty those recordings were, you know, and how he basically got to meticulously craft them himself or however, like, effortlessly he did it, you know, so.
0: I mean, the music spoke for itself. It was like, when you get a guy who's that incredible, a songwriter, who's literally just in a garage with a microphone and a chord organ, yeah, and that's it. Don't screw with that. Right. Like I
1: would just full, full sounding recordings. Just They'd put
0: them in. If you got to get them in a studio, just do the same thing. Just mic an instrument and mic mic him and just do that.
1: Yeah, well, I don't. I d- I just want a label. Like if it's a major label, just being like, just keep doing what you're doing and we will put it out. I, I totally you know, yeah. don't that. don't don't try and change the model. You know that's that's not gonna you know unless the artist I- is is looking for that growth, that innovation. Right. Yeah. Kind of they're evolving into that. That's a whole different story, right?
0: Yeah. When would this guy have? When do you think he would have like really shone? Because, like, even Elliot oh, Smith, I, I, like, I mean, it's like, did he ever get like really commercially successful? He was kind of a posthumous, like, you know, people really well, recognized him. Like, when when were these people ever, when was the best era for them to you, be you in? Come to the right place for Elliot oh, Smith. Oh, okay. Yeah. We don't have to get into <laughs> Elliot, but I'm just I, saying, I like, like,
2: this style of like singer-songwriter. I feel like he's similar. I feel like, I don't know, I, I look at it in two levels. Like, there's like you're a successful underground artist. I feel like I mean, with he's an exception because he wasn't touring. So it's very it's impo- I would say almost impossible to be a successful <laughs> underground artist if you're never touring. But if he was touring and he's an underground artist, he could have had a really, you know big thing. But um, it, at a mainstream level, I feel like he could have been like um, Elliot Smith in the sense that he has a kind of music that I think really suits films. Right. And I think if he'd had a song on a f- on the right song for the right film, I think that guy probably could have been mainstream in a way. Like, oh my God, this song like there's something really special for indie films. That's yeah, that's a really
0: that's a really good good point. Well, no, no I mean Elliot got on, you know, Goodwill would, Hunting, but and it's so perfect. Yeah, but those
1: were like, those were like kind of like the mid level of his recording like the first couple of records he did like bedroom recordings oh, yeah, they were like super lo-fi right you know and then either or era it kind of kind of was better recorded and i think that's what really got him a little bit more popular right at least in college radio and indie circles and all that and then goodwill hunting really kind of took him to that for sure where he sure yeah. the sure oscar nomination and everything
2: okay yeah like the shins in garden state or something yeah you know yeah you're I mean? right yeah. like certain it's it's like the right song and the, the right artist the right context you know
0: yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, God bless you, Daniel. I love you. <laughs> blur, anyone? Oh, yeah. 1994, it's been 25 years, and and it just kind of started coming up recently. Like, all these albums just keep coming online saying, this is the 25th anniversary of this, this is right. the 25th anniversary right. of this. I'm like, wow. And every one of these records is just absolute landmark, incredible. Right. Case in point, we've got this small three-quarter page thing on Blur here. Right. And it's just when Park Life gets released and girls and boys. What do you have to say about it? like did you guys did you guys delve into this article? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, totally, yeah. Pab, um, I almost had something for you, but I realized I've been trying so hard because we had this conversation about has is there an artist you can think of, a major label artist that got big off their third record? Oh right. I, and I thought I could do it with Blur, but they were an indie label called Food. I thought because their first record, Leisure, which is my favorite Blur record, which they actually kind of hate, which yeah. is weird.
2: It's got There's No Other Way, right? Yeah. I which love is my that. favorite. Yeah. I love
0: it. <laughs> so that was like, okay. Then their second album, Modern Life is Rubbish, I guess flopped. And then they come up with this one. And this
2: right.
1: was huge. The yeah, Boys those, and, those and Girls was huge. Those, the second one flopped in UK, too.
0: I guess so. Yeah. yeah like By, for their well. standards
2: I think for UK standards sure. like they probably sold a decent amount but for what people were saying about them when the first album came out I think is I think it's relative to yeah what people were expecting
0: yeah I think there was a well I think there was a real difference I mean if we want to go back just quickly that that first and second record are drastically different in my opinion and the first record is 1991 that was like the height of shoegaze and baggy movement yeah. with like stone roses and Happy Mondays, but also um, you My know, Bloody My Bloody Valentine, yeah. Loveless, like all these things. So it was kind of a nice mix of those. And then Blur, for the second record, kind of became Blur. They're right. kind of silly. They're kind of weird, <laughs> kind of jumpy, erratic, you know, pop, rip-pop music. Right. I think people had to get used to it, and then they got Park Life, which was a way, way better record, but but still had that like same sentiment like coming off of Modern
1: right. Life. But Girls and Boys didn't really fit with the rest of the record no either right
0: no it didn't it didn't fit with the rest of anything but no but like, I've been, like yeah. this entire era of music it was very different song totally.
2: except it did fit in the sense of like it had the kind of trademark irony and humor right. of blur even though stylistically it's different but the uh, in terms of their attitude and their, the way they presented themselves that's t- to me one of the things that stands out about kind of like british bands And you see it with Blur is like they're trying to they come from a very different sensibility that sometimes Americans don't always get. I would say North Americans don't always get. And you hear you see it in this interview, too. Like they come in with like class consciousness and class awareness and like bands, you know, American bands and Canadian bands don't talk about that stuff. So I actually think what's interesting is like the things that I think are cool about Blur actually a lot of people didn't get. Right. I didn't get it at that time too, because I grew up in this culture. Sure. <laughs> what?
0: What? Which specifically do you think people didn't get?
2: About well, class consciousness oh, okay. and class awareness, like w- you, you know, like. It's not as pronounced here as in in Britain. It's it's kind of like part of the culture right, to talk right. about it, and part of the band's identities are their relationship to class and what they have to say about it. Yeah, it's a big part of how they're sold to people, uh-huh. and it's a big part of how people identify with the music. And here, that just doesn't <laughs> doesn't yeah. completely exist. And so, I don't know. It's sort of interesting. Um, I feel like when I'm looking back on it now, it's like it's kind of like they were doomed to not be completely understood just by virtue of being... I don't know, their sense of humor, their style. Like, mm-hmm. not everybody understood it, I think. So My opinion.
0: I thought... I remember seeing these guys for the first time on I'm, Much I'm Music and watching the video, and that's obviously how I found out about them. And I had... I didn't know what country these guys were from. Like I looked at it, What planet? their video was really crappy and like green screened and odd. And I'm just like-
2: I like how you say it like, it's almost like what planet is Yeah, this like? kind of. Like I looked right. at them
0: and I was like, they're speaking English. Right, but I mean that could be said of any country. That's any, it. Anyone can speak exactly English. And what I was I'm just like, about. are these guys from Germany or yes. are they from exactly. England? Like they look strange and they're acting really weird. Yes. And their song is really weird, but I love the song. Yes, I like just it was unlike any French kissing. It. Yeah, there yeah. was like just tongues from yeah, bald people. There was th- yeah. that video <laughs> made no sense at all. all
1: yeah, like I think. French kissing and fast forward or something. Too? Yeah, 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 it was like, like, yeah, and there was like a <laughs> light bulb
0: and a moth, and it, right. like the whole start of that video had nothing to do with the rest of the video. Yeah, it's
1: an art yeah. piece. Um, I think it was pro- possibly a crossover hit too, though, because it was delving into dance music. So sure. I bet you you could talk to some people that aren't huge rock fans that probably think Blur was a one hit wonder. Yeah, you know what I mean. I mean don't it's know po- any it's other possible blur. yeah they're like oh yeah i know that girls and boys song
0: yeah but they've every one of those people have been to a hockey game and heard song too so <laughs> oh that's a <laughs> good point yeah yeah, yeah. that's yeah. where they probably think they're like a true two at a sporting event in a long time yeah. yeah yeah it's like them and gary glitter like how much how much <laughs> <laughs> has song two made off of I don't sports know events? gary glitter
2: gets that much play
1: anymore yeah let's yeah. let's <laughs> not let's talk about gary there. Glitter. yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: Um, But still, like, a great band, totally great band, and uh, I don't know. It just, it also points to, like, how special 1994 was musically, like, this is just sort of like an aside on a Rolling Stone issue, and it's like, there's just, it was just such an, I think, such an explosion.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it's like, it's incredible to just look back, like, that's why I love looking at these old magazines, where you just see, like, the first mention of a band. It's like here's we're just gonna talk with these guys they're getting they're getting a little press and you know, they're obviously probably much bigger in britain i mean they were probably yeah. on the cover of nme every month for the rest of the 90s but you know <laughs> in rolling stone they're like okay we'll give these guys a, a right a 58 page but where are they no they're on page 34 after the stones <laughs> <laughs> three quarters of a page and Jan- daniel
1: johnson yeah a full page yeah which is
0: great but, that, but that's surprising. Yeah. But yeah, but it wouldn't stay like that for long. I mean, these guys, no. these guys got gigantic. I think it was probably the issue before this. It was the exact same ad for Oasis too, and then right, yeah,
2: right. <laughs> and I would say the same thing. Like they were big, but like not crossover big. A lot for this, for, I would say, for similar reasons, because their irony, their humor, and their class consciousness doesn't really translate to yeah. North America.
1: I know Damon Alberna takes a pretty big swipe at grunge in that article. Yeah, he, has a he does. Yeah, big quote there about how uh, North American audiences are just—they're depressed because all they listen Self to pity. is depressing music. Yeah, yeah,
2: and that if you listen to depressing music, you just become depressed because that's what you're listening to. Yeah, and he's like, "Self pity is okay if you're like eight years old." Is basically what he says. Oh yeah, okay. But that's but the, yeah, the, the that's the the, the quote. irony.
1: There is honestly, like, I know Blur got better and better as they, they went on. Uh, some of the, like, most powerfully depressing songs that I like are by Blur. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean?
2: Like like what?
1: Like uh, Universal's Pretty Sad. Yeah. yeah. Um, he Thought of Cars. Yeah, uh,
0: Sing on the first record.
1: S- I love Sing. It's yeah. such a great song. Um, I don't know, there's so many. Actually, make, I make Bum
0: I think, is kind tape. of a sad song, too. It's about it's about uh, Justine from uh, Elastica doing heroin. No Beetlebums?
2: Yeah. Right. Exactly.
0: Okay, friends. I'm about to turn the page. Okay. And the page is the new faces, and the new face is Weezer. Guys. Uh, <laughs> oh
1: wait, do I, you do you like Weezer? <laughs>
0: I don't even. I don't even know where to begin. I mean, I guess we should talk about. Let's. We can, p- can talk about this article, but here is my rule for this. Okay. Okay. We can only talk about the Blue Album, okay? We cannot okay. go past. We cannot go into Weezer culture. It's oh, too okay. much. It's too early for that. <laughs> we, we can start a ten part. I'm series. not emotionally yeah. ready. Yeah, we're, we can't do it. We can only talk about the Blue Album, right? And I know we'll have more than enough to say about it. So I'm talking with two other, like, major Weezer nerds here, <laughs> and I don't even like want to out myself for the thousandth time. But like, it sucks being known as. The Weezer guy, even though I like haven't really liked Weezer in 15 years and I'm among many people who really only like 90s Weezer. But somehow every person in my life somehow knows I like Weezer, like new people that come into my life and they'll send me articles. And I'm like, it's embarrassing, but (laughs) at least we can hold on to the blue album here. Right. (laughs) So what did you think of this article?
2: Well, first Wait, I, like because it's a let's pretty contextualize short, little like article it's 1994 uh-huh. it's November right the the article is talking about Weezer's music video partly they're talking about the music video with Spike Jones and uh, undone the sweater song which is right. their first single yeah so at this point they're not like they don't have that massive hit yet no so now no one I guess really that knows was... what to make of them.
0: That was getting a lot of play, as they were kind of saying. In yeah. Here, like, I, I, that was not getting a ton of play on much music in Canada, but right. apparently I it agree. was getting a lot of MTV, Buzzbin, whatever yeah. they had in 1994. It was a, a getting a, some good rotation on there. Yeah. Right. Like, it was on, but I really don't remember it being on too much before I agree. Buddy Holly started. I, try,
1: I, I'm, I can swear that I probably heard the sweater song on like CFNY. 102, 102, for 102 sure. In Toronto? Oh, and 100%. I think, so I think, and it was definitely before Buddy Holly came out, so I think okay. I heard it, heard it on the radio. And then my cafeteria in high school used to do, every once in a while they would do like the contest, right? So this, this one day, and they had this like radio booth that you had to run up the stairs and stuff. Um, they'd be like, the first person that can uh, name this song um, wins uh, tickets to uh, the concert. Oh, wow. So they played it, and I honestly, I probably had only heard this song like maybe once or twice, and I ran up the stairs and said, hey, this is uh, the sweater song by this band called Weezer. And they're like, all right, here you go. Here's two tickets to see them at the Opera House Wow! next week. So wow. I was like, oh, neato. And that, <laughs> was, that was probably like, honestly, like maybe the third concert that I ever went to. Oh, wow. Well.
0: So just to comment on that, in this picture, we have – Brian Bell from Weezer wearing a Tristan Psionic shirt. And did Tristan Psionic open for them in Toronto? Uh,
1: they did, but not that show. Oh, okay. So they came back um, and they played the Warehouse, which became the Cool House. Right. Which, to me, was one of the most like historic shows for my upbringing because yeah. it was Weezer with openers Archers of Loaf. Wow. Which were amazing, and uh-huh. you know. Are, are Considered legendary now to some people Sure And Tristan Psionic and Hayden Wow So that was the first show that I had even heard of Hayden Sure uh, And he was first on and it was me and like Some of my closest friends, probably like 10 of us Was
0: he just up with an acoustic guitar? He was
1: just up sitting down with an acoustic wow. guitar Classic like 1994 Hayden Oh my god Buzz cut Jesus Yeah, playing songs from everything I longed for And I bought that CD there And I bought like a Massive, a oh, way oversized Weezer shirt too, um, <laughs> right. and so I bought that Hayden CD, and I remember like listening to it like three o'clock in the morning after taking like the go bus home or whatever. Oh my god! Yeah, that was a big show for me. That's incredible. But yeah, Tristan Cyanok was was amazing too. That, yeah, like that so was my first Sonic Onion kind of experience. Too. Yeah, so the
0: Sonic Onion Records, Hamilton, Ontario. This was a big thing, you know, in Canada and certainly Southern Ontario. This really incredible indie record label that came out right around that time and Tristan Psionic, they were the guys who ran it right? Two of the guys ran two of the guys who started Sonic Onion so I just find it incredible looking at the Rolling Stone the first time Weezer is featured in here to hey listen to these guys and Brian's wearing a Tristan Psionic shirt it's so cool. Very cool and Matt is also wearing a That Dog shirt and that's where I tried to find That Dog immediately I was like because I was uh, just getting into them, and then I was like, "Okay, who else do these guys? Are they like?" I so think
1: they played with that dog again at the warehouse. Oh, really? Again, yeah, because I saw that dog open for them as well. Okay.
2: Yeah, it's sort of it's sort of interesting. Uh, yeah, they mentioned the Spike Jones thing. Yeah. Which is which is ironic because um, Rivers, if you read the biography, the unauthorized biography of Rivers Cuomo, it'll say that he actually ended up hating. The association between Weezer and Spike Jones, and oh, he, really? he also hated. Yeah, he ended up hating the association and hating the association between Weezer and the Buddy Holly video, in part because he felt that it was part of the reason why people thought they were a joke band. Sure, you know, and if you watch um, Much Music's uh, spot, what well, it was called Spotlight, right? Yeah. If I I still have it on VHS somewhere, because so right exactly, cause <laughs> we all I'm have also, of VHS somewhere. <laughs> I was I'm also a Weezer like obsessive, and uh, at it's the last clip of Much Music Spotlight on Weezer. It's an interview with Rivers Cuomo, and he looks so depressed. Yeah, and then he said he says something like, "At first, it bothered me. It really bothered me that everybody thought we were a joke band. But now I don't really care because if they like the songs and we enjoy playing them." And I guess everybody's happy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's just how he says it.
0: I'm, I'm super <laughs> impressed that Bab, uh, you pretty much quoted that verbatim. I'm yeah. very impressed because <laughs> I actually just, of course, know that entire thing. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Memorized
1: this whole short little <laughs> yeah. little piece. This well, piece doesn't really say that much about the band. No, it it's doesn't. Such a, like it's
0: a really, it's really thin. It's true. There's like, not much. They're kind of just like joking around. And that was kind of them as well. Like they were kind of always like joking around in interviews, at least Matt Sharp and Pat they Wilson. Were but guys, yeah. Yeah. They were guys. Yeah. They Weezer were funny. And then Rivers was saying like absolutely nothing. Right. That was his but I mean, if this MO. was my f- the
1: first article that I ever read about Weezer, I'd be like, really? I have no I- I'm saying if it oh, was, okay. Like looking back on it now, I know too much about these guys. But had I read that article, I I would have learned literally nothing
0: about yeah. this. Yeah, yeah. There's there's really not much substance in this other than them kind of talking about the buddy Holly. It's really more the interviewer giving like facts about them. They're just kind of shooting the shit and saying nothing really. Yeah.
2: But you see the ingredients there. Yeah. Like the the that he's like mercurial, like and a bit elusive and difficult and and uh, super like. You know, I don't know what the well word it didn't is. make
1: like it seem like it was a band. The fact that he was interviewed separately as well at this yeah. stage in their career is really weird.
0: Yes, it's, it's you know, very, it's very weird, but very rivers-y. rivers or it's, just or it just it predicts the future where yeah. you literally just see like. Yeah, it's, well, he's it's already always, it's saying already in this
2: interview, he's already saying, "I don't even know if I want to do this anymore. Yeah, I think I'm yeah. just going to go back to school." Like, sure,
0: and the rest of the guys are just sort of making fun of him and sort of saying, "Like I'm going to quit," and yeah. like it's just like it, when you actually look at this, like, it's a very it's thin, yeah, you know it's I'm a very, <laughs> there's not much substance to it. Yeah, but it's it it's it's like a it's like a crystal ball in <laughs> the Weezer future of people sort of wanting to quit and sort of being unhappy. It's I sort respect
1: of like, them for it. It's, a, it's like they're being. Interviewed by Rolling Stone magazine. That's a really big deal, right? Yeah, and It's they huge basically at this time for sure. all made a huge joke of it. Yeah. They just didn't care.
0: Which really didn't uh help them uh it really played into the the myth that they were just a joke band too. And it's funny that you like so that's what I was gonna bring up, and Pab already mentioned it. When I was fourteen, I didn't really know that people were saying that right, they were like exactly. this joke band or whatever. But I kept kind of hearing them say it. And I was like, is that true? Is everybody saying that these guys are like some sort of parody? Like it's supposed to be like weird out yes. type of music. Like I don't get it. But
2: we, no, this did is what, didn't pick up on that. This is what we talked about before in the, the last, uh, in the 2002 white stripes spin cover thing. Um, I remember talking about it, which is like, to what extent does the average fan care about certain stuff? and to what extent does does the industry kind of live in its own bubble and i feel like if if you're 30 years old and you're a music critic for rolling stone and you're listening to weezer it's very different than if you're 14 and you're sure. just like oh this song sadie and soul is awesome i'm going to crank this up to 10 yeah. i don't care that's how i felt about it i didn't i didn't care at all about whatever they talked about <laughs> yeah 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 like what do i care if somebody thinks they're gimmicky like i never thought of it that way you know
1: yeah The funny thing is, you know, this is not Blue Album, but they kind of became a joke
0: band. (laughs) 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 Which
2: (laughs) I always feel like,
0: yeah. It's true. They were combating saying, we're not a joke band. I was like, but yeah, look what you became. Yeah, it it wasn't a joke. It it took me a a much longer time. Yeah, it's true.
2: it, It took me a much longer time to dislike Weezer than you. Like... It's. I only really felt like it when when the this their latest covers thing. As soon as I saw that, I was like, I get why the <laughs> Jackson's album. so mad. Th-
1: that's <laughs> when you. That's when you stop liking. Yeah. Really,
0: you're a, like you're a big Ratitude fan. We're, we've no, already no, got. No no, 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 to no, no. But oh, this man. is the thing:
2: is I don't need to like the subsequent records Hurley? to feel angry. <laughs> I don't. I don't need that. Like to me, it's like I get that a band is gonna make albums that I don't like. Like, I don't expect them to. I don't get mad about it. Sure. Oh, I got mad. I do. <laughs> I get very, very <laughs> mad.
0: Production of this record, I want, I looked up today because they picked, they, they say in this article, and we obviously know this now, they picked Rico Kasich from the Cars to produce this, which was a really great choice because they are, I've, I, I never really uh, er, knew this because, I mean, I grew up, like, this was like the first thing I got into, but people were, Older than me, we're comparing them to, yeah, like Cars and Cheap Trick and these type of bands. It's such a great choice now that I look back that they picked Rick Ocasek. Like he's got the Cars were great. Um, the songwriting, like he really knew that sound. But I wanted to look up what did Rick Ocasek actually produce before this? And I thought maybe he produced Cars records. And really his big thing, he never produced, I think he produced some late Cars records, uh, like into the like late 80s. And he produced some of his own solo stuff, and he produced all of the band's Suicide's records. Wow! Suicide are this like electronic art punk band from the seventies, like probably just about like the one of the first electronic bands. Like when you lump them in with like you know uh, Kraftwerk or Devo, like really obscure, like right. not even close to the Cars or like just this right. like ob- like. New wave pop <laughs> that these guys did, and then they got him to produce this, and it's brilliant. Yeah, like, it's awesome kind of production. out of left
2: field. But you know, the it's interesting too because I I, I have to say though the article does get two things right about right. Weezer. One is the Beach Boys reference because it's it's a super melodic record, Absolutely. and he was listening to a lot of Beach Boys during the time of writing the songs for. He was like, I think he was listening to. He said a lot of Beach Boys and Sonic Youth. Yeah, and so you can you can kind of hear it in in the Blue album. So I think the writer kind of for sure probably didn't even hear that from the band itself. So it's a pretty good year. Yeah, and then the other thing he says is um, that the songs are more sad than they are goofy. You know, yeah. and I'm like that's that's a good observation because a lot of people, some people, I guess, in the industry maybe might have missed that, but that's really. Part of what makes the album so powerful. Yeah. And I mean they're not melodically sad, they're
0: upbeat, yeah fun songs, it's, it's but so the true. content is exactly
2: sad. that's I think the beauty of the record.
0: Yeah. I mean like no one else, you know, I yeah. guess that's a yeah, a lot like of it just captures.
1: Which is like, like the teenage, Beach Boys. Teenage yeah. Teenage romance, teenage heartbreak. Sure. You know, like that kind of feeling. Sure. You know, it's
0: in there. It's it yeah. I mean, these guys were I think they're twenty four making this record, so they were just out of teen years. They're still like haven't figured anything out yet, and they probably wrote these songs a few years ago. So yeah, it it makes sense. They're very young problems. Yeah, <laughs>
2: but also kind of hopeful too. Like, sure. Typical of a twenty four year old. <laughs> yeah.
0: The one thing that people don't talk about on this record, uh, when they're talking about this record very much, is the fact that there was a fourth, there was a fifth member. Well, not fifth member. There was Jason Cropper. He was the right. original oh yeah. guitarist, yeah. and he made it all the way up to this record and to the recording. And then his girlfriend got pregnant and it's really sketchy on the details, but he was kind of fired slash Mm -hmm. he left, but it really sounds more like he got fired pretty much. Cause it sounded like maybe there was a discussion. I'm not going to be able to tour or there's going to be some problems there. Mm -hmm. And they were like, well, you know, we can't deal with that. Like we're, this is our push. This is our mate. Like, this is our chance. We can't possibly mm-hmm. do, like, let you just, like, not go on tour or something like that if there's any complications. So it seems like he was pretty much fired. But what yeah. I want to say is, and then, and then Brian Bell, they brought him, they called him up in the middle of this record and just said, Do you want to be in our band? I don't even think really he plays anything on this record. He has some backing vocals. Right. Rivers re recorded all of Cropper's guitars. But I just kind of want to, Bring up this point. Like, what a Pete Best situation. Like, yeah. I just, I don't want to feel sorry for this guy, but oh my God, you literally got kicked out of the band. When you built the band, you were with it the entire time, made a band, you got kicked out during the recording of your mm-hmm. debut record, and then these guys took off and had another 25 years of success.
1: Well, he's got a 25-year-old kid now.
0: <sighs> Dave Kruzan.
2: Yeah, yeah. And he's another. Yeah, Dave <laughs> Krusen, yeah. <laughs> Who's Remember that? that? No. The old Jams drummer.
0: Oh, on, right, on right 10 right nobody remembers yeah <laughs> no he did too didn't did he no, not says came in yeah.
2: oh okay that like but, but the jason yeah, the jason, jason cropper. cropper story is sort of interesting if again if you read the unauthorized biography um rivers Cuomo made the band sign uh um i don't know what the term India. is like a, yeah a non disclosure oh, yeah, yeah. that you can't uh, that he wouldn't be part of the band if they didn't so that's part of why there's so much like mystery yeah. r- surrounding the band because nothing can be confirmed or anything right. so it's like it sounds like he got kicked out and whatever and yeah. Yeah. so
1: is a smart dude
0: man yeah at 24 to, or an s- ass to think of that because like, most bands <laughs> yeah
1: most bands are always told that when you form a band you should have a band contract yeah no one does it no yeah. one ever does it right so the fact that he well he moved to la with in dreams to start a band, so he was taking it seriously. He's kicking yeah. people out of his band. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. You
0: know, no, like totally he was not even sure. in his he earlier band. Like, yeah. yeah. Well, well, I mean, it, it didn't even seem like, I mean, it like, the way I've read it, and again, these are, like, very sketchy details, but it was Rivers, but it was also Matt Sharp, I think, too. They say, like, he was involved, and he's like, okay, well, if you can't do it, then, like, you can't hold us back. right? Which is valid, and especially when you're a young band, you get a break like that, but oh, man. Like, mm-hmm. Couldn't his wife have just taken care of that baby while they're on tour for a little while?
2: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, in certain respects, like you see it in the article here and a little bit in the non-disclosure is Rivers did see himself as like Like, one of the best songwriters of his generation. And if you look at the Blue Album and Pinkerton, I feel like it's warranted. Mm -hmm. Like, he's writing, I think, some of the best songs of his generation in an era of really, like, nonstop phenomenal albums. And he's immediately not getting the recognition he wanted. And uh, I think that's part of what you're seeing in this article yeah. about how he doesn't show up to the Rolling Stone interview because he's immediately feeling like, oh, you don't see me as Kurt Cobain. Yeah. You see me as kind of like this, this nice um, uh, diversion from the main show. Uh-huh. And then you're just going to want to relegate me back to like one hit wonder status. And I think it was so offensive to him. Yeah. You know. No. just kind of uh, unfortunate, I think, because he's he so was maniacal. well i don't know i think he was kind of right like he's like i'm writing some of the best records of anybody's putting out why am i not being spoken about in that way yeah yeah no but also an egomaniac
1: people were seeing it as these are the best songs that are being written right now
2: Mm -hmm. i I think of it in retrospect at the time nobody was talking about them like that
0: no i mean you can't and that's that's sometimes people will try to predict that but Normally, I think you you kind of write in a very subjective way when you're talking about like debut album people. like this this is the greatest thing that's happening right now. That usually has to take a few years for you to figure out, yeah, that was good, giving the time and everything else that was around
2: it. But music critics, I don't know. A lot of them want to feel like they want to be the ones to get it right. Oh, of course. You yeah. And they, they, try they never to, do.
0: No, they try to predict. They, they They're terrible. So Case in
2: point, yeah. this Weezer article. Yeah. There's Because like way more time is spent on Steven Tyler being a drug addict. Yeah. <laughs> like, than yeah. like Blur or Weezer. Like when it's really like this is the more interesting thing. Like you're actually seeing this turning point in culture. Yeah. And it's it's kind of yeah, lost. It's it's kind of lost on the issue in this issue. You know, which is kind of funny, but yeah. Again,
1: what sells the magazine, right? Yeah, well known band. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah,
2: (laughs) well, that's
0: and that's the historic Rolling Stone. They will always put like the dinosaur (laughs) bands on the cover, like first and foremost. They can't shut up about the Grateful (laughs) Dead. I'm like, my god, Jerry Garcia, we talked about Voodoo
2: Lounge. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: They were the first article, of course, (laughs) is the Stones. Favorite song on the record
2: on the Blue Album? Yeah,
1: oh, it changed so many times.
0: Yeah.
2: Depends on my mood. You know,
1: the, my favorite song of the last few years from that record has been "Holiday." Oh, yeah, yeah, me too. Holiday really, is such a for good the longest song. time. Yeah, like that screaming solo just coming into the song. Oh yeah, um, I love the chord progression. It's just such a great vibe. Uh huh. Yeah, good good tempo. Like yeah, I, I love that. Song. For the That's
2: longest cool. time, it was, and then uh, I would say maybe the world has turned and left me here. I still like. I'm like, wow. What
0: yeah, I think that's that's one of my top ones off that record, too.
2: And in Only in Dreams? Yeah. Yeah, oh, I'm just that's saying,
0: <laughs> like, of,
1: like, right <laughs> now, Yeah, like, it, uh, literally every in single this song minute, yeah. of, on that record has been my favorite song on that yeah. record yeah. at some
0: point. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I classically said that my favorite song of all time was Only in Dreams. It's like so I, mean, good. I would always yeah, say that. Song. If someone asked me, what's your favorite song? It's Only in Dreams. It's so
2: good. So, like, it's like,
0: 100%. Perfect song. Oh yeah, my name is Jonas. Jack. Yeah, it was
2: like the first non-single song that I'm like became obsessed with. when, yeah. I, when I got that album, but
0: that's one of the greatest album openers of all oh time. Oh my god, best but track. Just, one, just a classic,
2: one. just an absolute classic, like American rock and roll record. Yeah, you know, it's just it's so perfect. I think even the B sides. All, er, all, all of the B sides are phenomenal. He is just you're you're hearing like this outpouring of a. Of a songwriter in a particular time in his life. And it's like everything he's doing is phenomenal. Yeah. And he, I don't even think he's fully aware. Like he knows he's good. I don't think he realizes it. And, uh,
1: well, if you thought he was the greatest songwriter in the world yeah. <laughs>
2: at that time, I guess he did realize it. I right? think it was, I don't know. But I mean, like he was good in ways I don't think he fully understood. Like, because there's a, there's a humor and irony to the record uh-huh. that I don't think he was super self-conscious of. I think he was just being himself. And in retrospect, that humor and irony is part of what gives that album a lasting quality to it well, because it's not just dark and emotional. It's got range and, and layer, I guess.
0: And also just the, the songwriting or just Rivers growing up loving metal. <laughs> and like coming into this record, like like the most incredible story of just him moving to LA to start a metal band and then getting a job at Tower Records and getting into the Pixies and Nirvana yeah. and Sonic Youth and then like completely Beach di- Boys. Yeah, and like ditching metal and was like, No, I gotta start doing this type of stuff, but it just didn't leave him. So then he was writing all these songs with this this still like like heavy squealing yeah. metal uh like solo and riffs and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. It's yeah, like it was he, a such a perfect marriage. He had the, the chops for it. Yeah. Yeah, he's a fantastic yeah. guitarist. Like some yeah. of the
1: still some of my favorite solos of all music. Yeah, period. right. Yeah. Some of his solos are just like technically they're just so beautifully played.
0: Right. They're really good. Here's one more thing. The sweater song has one of the most iconic drum parts ever. Yeah. The opening the opening, intro. the, opening, the drum. opening. Right. Like you that that drum uh little hit won you ticket yeah. yeah, is that what it is? Yeah. <laughs> just <laughs> hearing that, like you knew from the, of course. All right. You know. but it's, that's it's perfect. It's,
1: honestly, I, I think you could hear a song maybe once or twice if it's that distinct. Yeah. You'd be like, right, oh, it's that song.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I read today that they, they made that music video. I mean, we've all seen the Sweater song. It's absolutely nothing. It's just a steady cam. They played it 25 times. And they said, you know, probably towards the end is where they actually took that take from between like 15 and 20 when the band kind of just gave up and we're just sick (laughs) of playing it. And that's why it's so stupid where they're just like falling apart at the end. And that's the take they did. That video cost $60,000 to make. Uh. And I just think. Every time I hear that about music videos, I'm like, when you're on a bigger where league, did right. that money go? Yeah. And the dogs cost $10,000. That's what they said.
2: <laughs> yeah. I was like,
0: it sounded like bullshit when Matt Sharp says in this article the dogs cost $10,000. But I'm thinking they no, probably actually did because no, no, they had a bunch of animal so. handlers totally. and they had to rent dogs. <laughs> no,
2: and in, in that era, it was like almost like um, too much money wasn't enough for a music video because yeah. the music video was so central to how a band would be promoted that. Record labels, major record labels would s- splurge. So I mean, stupid. It's money. true. Just so they just they were
0: just throwing money and like they made the the simplest simplest video that they just did in a, a right. day. But I look at that against this is Spike Jones doing this and he was a major DIY guy and just was like I'll do whatever I want and that was the right the basic thing behind him. He's like anything you say I can't do, I'll just do it because right. you're just saying you can't do it because you haven't done it before and there isn't some like. Way in production, but like we can just do that. So he made this video. His pitch was because they say it in the article. Uh, did they say this in the article? Uh, that uh, like it was the sweaters, the sweater song. And they said, Our only thing is we don't want any sweaters in the video. <laughs> and every treatment that came in was about <laughs> sweaters. And they picked <laughs> Spike <laughs> Jones because he just said, I want to do a one shot steady cam. I want to release a bunch of dogs. And they're like, Done. <laughs> 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 And it cost 60 grand. That's so crazy. But, but before, like right at the same time, like probably just just after this, he made uh, sabotage with the Beastie Boys. And they went to a production company to get funding. And they said, we'll do it for $85,000. And the Beasties and Spike said, $85,000? That's insane. Like, we're not, we can't do yeah. it like that. Like, let's go back and make a budget. So they went down and they budgeted it down to thirty-five. So the sabotage video they co- did it completely right. without any which permits, which an amazing video like the too. Like one of the great, like top five best yeah. music videos of the nineties, one hundred percent. Yeah, I agree. It's incredible. Yeah. yeah. And they did that for thirty-five grand, and the sweater song is sixty.
2: That's crazy. <laughs> major
1: label. There's a bunch of budgets. teamsters
0: on set just eating donuts and smoking cigs.
1: One thing I've always wondered is, I know that. When they recorded the Blue album, Rick sick told them to remove all the keyboards, and I've oh always yeah? wondered what the album and and so and Rivers was like. No way, we're keeping the keyboards. Oh and wow! They kept it on. I've always kind of wondered what that album would what sound, it sound like, like without the keyboards, the way Rick sick would have wanted it, because that was like a a big kind of.
0: Did they have a lot of keys? Like, were they playing live with f- keys?
1: No, they didn't have keys live but the keys are very like kind of buried they're almost always in unison with like a lead guitar or something oh, okay. else but they definitely add to the vibe right of the record a lot wait
2: there's keyboards on the record
1: there's keyboards on the record
0: like I'm in somewhere in the mix oh i think yeah, what well i they're mean they're i there. can't think of them really either but what i'm saying is like they're buried in the mix like along with a melody that you're never even gonna you you can like hear them they're audible
1: but they're not anywhere near like like can front. you
0: think of like a song specifically
1: <coughs> I think Buddy Holly probably has keyboards in it.
0: So that's what I was gonna say. Have you ever heard that that uh, basement recording of um, uh, Rivers of, of, of Buddy Holly? The original Buddy Holly. Yeah, right. and it's and got like really heavy like Korg yes. keyboards in it, and it's awesome. Oh it's really? So good that, that
1: key sounded. Was that on the anniversary version? Or? That's on
0: his alone recordings thing uh, that he put out, of yeah, yeah. all his like early recordings that he did. And so the key—it's pretty much. I think the. I think actually the song is maybe I think it's a drum machine and some guitar and just a cork and that's what Buddy Holly was and it's incredible. And honestly,
1: that's probably why he was so married to them. Right. if you wrote the songs intending to have those keys on it the whole
0: time. But well, I think he wrote like he bought like he rented or bought a cork or something like that I think in the like 91 or something like that and I think he wrote a ton on it so that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. I uh, mean like Keyboards weren't cool at the time. You had to have no the, the four-guy the four band with the guitars. Like You couldn't have a keyboard over here. Like yeah. You had to have that dynamic to yeah. sell to people. And if you had that on the record, then you had to have it live. So And
2: probably why he picked Rick Ocasek was because of the, the sound of keyboards in the cars. Sure. And it's done so well that he's like, oh, this is going to be my guy. And then he's like, yeah, no keyboard. Yeah, no. Oh, Rick
1: was probably like, you're no, an amazing no rock band. Like, yeah, you, don't need, why? you don't need those keys, I agree. You know? I yeah. agree.
0: And yeah. there's a lot of great here's one thing there's a lot of great perfectly placed harmonica parts on this record right <laughs> it's just they never in play the that, they never play that live or in my name is Jonas there's like a the gro- breakdown yeah. with like yeah the, that's the, true that's true and there's just that just shows up we ditched all but the keyboards the but we've got the harmonicas still <laughs> one more thing i wanted to say about this era is that Weezer are on DGC records DGC records was absolutely king in nineteen ninety (laughs) four. Totally. I wanna read off this is this is the this is the artist roster in nineteen ninety four. Teenage Fan Club, Nirvana, Weezer, Hole, Beck, Sonic Youth, That Dog, Counting Crows, The Posies.
1: Yeah. I don't know, man. They sound and
0: Yes. Slow. I was gonna say that they
1: were the uh, Sonic Onion of uh, the states.
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, (laughs) what girl. And like, how many of these bands that I looked down, like, like they were building this superpower uh, artist roster. And I know for sure, probably Sonic Youth, but definitely Beck and Nirvana got creative control. They got signed and just said like. Yeah, you have art, you have yeah. you have artist control. just, right. just make a well, record. Well, Nirvana took right. a lot
1: less money, so they could have one hundred percent creative right. control. True. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, and did you guys ever listen to the DGC Rarities album?
2: Yeah, yeah. It right has the that's uh, the it
1: greatest Jamie. one. That was such
0: a great compilation. I know. Yeah, and it was volume one. I was always waiting for volume two. volume two. Two. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so yeah.
0: All right. The blue album, a that, classic. That wraps up part one of of our Weezer talk. <laughs>
1: Part one of many. What else
0: did you? Well, I mean, this this issue is just chock full of gold. There's also a du- uh, an article on h- in here about a director in 1994 you might have heard of called Quentin Tarantino, and he's talking I about think I heard of, his, of him. I'm his, familiar with his his, work. his brand new movie Pulp Fiction that uh, <laughs> never really went anywhere, but uh, <laughs> you know. It was nice of them. it was to this it, guy it was really nice of them to give him throw him a bone and that's give him a uh,
1: badass photo of him in there too yeah i know yeah. like in a car yeah it looks yeah like pretty cool off, kind of iconic.
0: Our, yeah. yeah we'll just finish up by just mentioning again this is 1994 an incredible year for albums we get into the reviews section and the feature review is wildflowers by tom petty i can't say i'm a giant tom petty fan and i can't say like i know like everything off his records but I have to say, I think that You Don't Know How It Feels is probably my second favorite song he does. And of course, and the best thing is that growing up in Canada, you actually got to hear him say, let's roll another joint on uh, Much Music, which you didn't get to in, in uh, the States. I think they even like blurred his mouth out when he said it or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but then you go to the next page and there's another tiny little review. Four-star review, mind you, of a little artist called Notorious it B.I.G. <laughs> right. And is ready to die record. So here's real. his... Again, yeah.
2: 1994. Again, 1994. Like, like, just like, oh, by the I've way, there's this album. Him. Exactly. I mean,
0: we also have Veruca Salt, American Thighs, which I put on that compilation for you guys. And I was telling Noyan, kind of when I walked in the door, he was playing it. And that opening riff, like, I still think, I can play, I just, I kept... Getting rewind, like right. just going back and listen to the first three seconds of that song. I was like, that is such a powerful opening. It's so good. You should sample that. Yeah, I should. Yeah. And for my electronic, what <laughs> for whatever I'm doing, guys, Yeah, you whatever just you're doing, yeah. you figure it out, man. It's true. It's going to be the intro to this podcast now. It's just going to be... Yeah. <laughs> What's the sampling rule?
1: Three seconds, four seconds? I think, or it's, been, I think or it's eight less. seconds. Yeah.
0: Well, oh boy, I don't, I don't know. think so. Right, I'm gonna figure that Maybe out later. I believe it's four <laughs> minutes. Yeah, yeah four, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And oh. and yeah, Pabs pointing to the next big one on here. Jeff Buckley, Grace. Yep. Wow. Again, like believe. just a casual aside yeah. on, on this
2: issue, you know.
1: <laughs> and 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 it got three stars. <laughs> and it got three stars. <laughs> American. Well,
0: I mean. <laughs> Yeah, and it's funny. And then this band, The Silos, who I looked up and I could barely find anything on, they got four stars. Yeah, exactly. Kiss Kiss My hilarious. Ass got three
2: stars. Well done, Rolling Stone. Well done. Yeah.
0: All right. So that was just a quick overview of just November 1994. But just before we leave, gentlemen... Who do you think is number one on the Billboard's top 40 albums? Oh, this I, one I I'm know. I'm going to go straight to Aerosmith. <laughs> I, I w- that would be an excellent guess. Uh, I'm going to run down.
2: Um, I know the answer. D-
0: you already know the answer? Well, c- Why, you already you peaked? You peaked? Did, did you peak?
2: Well, yeah, but sorry, I forgot. <laughs> I forgot How that. dare you? No, I, I just wanted to be like, <laughs> what was popular uh, yeah. at this, like in 94?
0: And I, wanna, I was like,
2: oh, yeah, it's different than what I remember. Well, here's
0: a nice little moment in 94. I'll run down. Number 10, Ace of Bass. The Sign. The
2: Sign. Yeah, nice. I saw yeah. The Sign.
0: Yeah, did you? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, like, I can't even say
2: it. <laughs> yeah, I saw The Sign. Oh, did you? Yeah, oh, and oh, it really? opened up my eyes. There you go. That's oh. bad.
0: Number, <laughs> number nine, this is the, the band that I think, I think a lot of people liked, but then a lot of people also hated. Uh, Stone Temple Pilots, Purple. I love this. Song. They oh. all thought it was like a Pearl Jam ripoff. Uh, like a lot of, people even though did, I think they just like got critics like being picked lazy up because they sounded like they fit into that sound. So I li- I like it. I did okay. too. Uh,
2: they're a great. Uh, that was the first CD I ever bought.
0: Oh yeah, Purple.
1: The For first me one was, was Core. The second one was Purple. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. For me, the first album was uh, uh, Beastie Boys' Ill Communication. Yeah, first CD. Mm-hmm. First CD I ever okay. bought. Yeah, like I
0: had tapes before that, but the first CD I ever purchased with my own money was Purple
2: uh cool i think great album too my Phenomenal i like it
1: record. I'm, i think it was like i was walking downtown with my parents and my we stopped into HMV or sam no sam the record man and we bought my parents bought me you know when when cds came in those big long yeah things the big cardboard things so and i don't even know like why i deserved these cds at this <laughs> time because cds were also like astronomically expensive oh really uh, were they that
0: much money i think
1: so they okay. were probably like wen yeah I think so dollars. okay sure yeah when it like, such like a joke. Yeah. ten box yeah. um Pearl jam ten and um u two Zuropa. oh wow All
0: I right. believe good for you yeah weird um number eight uh female artist very big this year in nineteen ninety four had her had her debut record Cheryl crow Oh. Tuesday Night Music Club? 94? 94. Wow. Yeah, that all was I, I, do I, have some fun. I don't know yeah, why I, I
2: associate her with later 90s no. not earlier. I remember that
0: vividly for grade nine.
2: Like well, first all I want to do is have nine. some fun. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And that's all true. I did
0: want to do was have some <laughs> fun. <laughs> 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 S- I don't blame you. Smoke cigarettes she in grade spoke nine.
2: Spoke to the people. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: I mean, she wasn't lying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Probably one of the biggest soundtracks of the 90s movie, 1994. No. Soundtrack. Yeah
2: should know this and i probably do once One you say it
0: academy award-winning movie academy award-winning actor i can't think forrest gump you got it oh yeah wow. that Forrest makes sense. Gump. sense
2: forrest it's gump soundtrack. the most overrated movie of all That's time like, yeah was not a double
0: oh that
2: was a yeah, double, double disc it
0: was yeah i and just was just like hits i just listened yeah. to another podcast uh about Forrest Gump, and they said there was five Doors songs <laughs> on that soundtrack. Really? Yeah. You know why? Because that's
2: of because of like the ninety one Doors film. It just like oh, reintroduced sure. into the About consciousness, going. and yeah. it's like everybody was like Doors oh, that's crazy. True. Yeah. Uh,
0: number six, Offspring Smash. Yeah, big album. Great. Yeah. I like that album. The uh, be- best selling independent record of all time, yeah. still to this day. I mean, amazing. Right. Yeah. Epitaph Records. Yeah. Yep. Uh, followed up by, you know, their brothers uh, in 1994. Who's the other punk band in 1994? Pop punk band. Green Day? Yep. Dookie. Yep. Brothers. Oh, okay. Yeah, All you know. Right. Brothers in Arms. Uh, yeah, oh, God. We're just ripping down the uh, soundtrack list. Number four, another soundtrack. 1994 soundtrack, Not the Crow. Would what it be the, 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 the one Crow with
1: uh, Tupac mean, did the on Crow even it even come out in 94? I think so. Is it the it? Yeah. Tupac
2: Janet Jackson movie? No. Oh, That's okay. a good
0: guess. Very good guess. Um, Disney.
2: <laughs> Aladdin? <laughs> nope. Lion, Lion King? King? Yeah. Lion okay. King.
0: Lion okay. King soundtrack. Of course. We got Elton John on and there. And now we have the real
1: life motion Lion King.
0: Yeah. And we have the. Yeah. The, and
1: the. Uh, and
0: <laughs> Aladdin, Lion King. Uh, and uh, also the biopic on uh, Elton John. So it's it's all full circle in 25 yeah. years. Yeah, It's a circle of life. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you just set yourself up for that one. <laughs> I didn't even realize it either. <laughs>
0: Number three, I'm not familiar with this artist. I looked her up, and I really don't know this. Anita Baker, Oh, Rhythm disagree. of Love uh was was like i'm sure if R&B. i heard this it song i'd be like i would be d- not familiar this. with this with this single on this i think
2: she's if i hear it like though i'll Rolling remember stonesing it up okay you know,
1: kind of been putting out records
0: for 20 or 30 years or yeah so. um number two biggest r&b band biggest oh boys to men yeah boys to Men. okay I just wanted to run down this top 10 because it was just incredible, like this moment, I like, like, like all of these. I love Voice to Men. I really do. Like this is for the road h- was what? A it's, the,
2: uh, it's albums or is it? This is albums. Oh, albums. Oh, okay. Also, then, oh, then I don't know who number one is. Oh, you didn't? Oh, okay. I was thinking about number one hits. Oh, okay. I was thinking. That's what I looked
0: up. Oh, okay. Okay, so the number one, I'm s- okay, I would have never guessed this for this era at all. Mm.
2: He's oh, a, give he, us a hint. Okay, I, so I he's a, he's, a, he's
0: a gigantic artist, well-known guitarist, Came from like the 60s, Eric 70s. Clapton. Eric, Clapton. Eric Clapton. Yeah,
2: unplugged, right?
0: No, not unplugged. Tears. Eric Clapton from the cradle. Oh, wow. Yeah, Do you record. know this? Yeah. This was his like blues record, essentially. Tears he did, in like, Heaven? Is that? No, it's not Tears in Heaven. That oh. was like a record before or so. I looked it up. Huh. So this was a record. I have no idea. I, I <laughs> don't know it at all. And it's <laughs> Eric Clapton. Amazing. He's number one. I mean, because I it's all old people, you know, uh, I never buying guessed. records. So they all bought the Eric Clapton stuff. Um, I don't like Eric Clapton's music and I hate <laughs> the blues. So I just shook my head when I looked this up. <laughs>
2: Wait, you hate the blues like.
0: I hate old white guys playing the oh, blues. And that, I hate Eric okay. Clapton playing I, the blues. I thought so. you were saying
2: like BB King or like Muddy Waters or Zeppelin or something.
0: Or Zeppelin?
2: Meaning, like, well, <laughs> because I
0: can't believe you just did Muddy Waters and Zeppelin in the same
2: sentence. Ben. What do you mean? The, uh, the influence is so like pervasive. Well, I
0: know they just ripped them off <laughs> and, be, and became white Hence, guys ripping them off.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, stairway to heaven isn't the same thing.
0: No, they ripped that off
2: too <laughs> from different well, people, yeah. though. Dis-
0: disproven in court.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's true.
0: Okay, that's it. All
1: right, Eric Clapton, Eric right. Clapton.
0: I know. And what
2: a weird way to yeah, end. Yeah, the weird way to
0: end that entire <laughs> well, it issue. It, it is. the Look at it how it all bookends,
1: ends. like Aerosmith on the cover, Eric Clapton number one, like those were the guys that were selling records, right? Yeah. I know, but 94. apparently yeah. And everything else in between is the stuff that we liked. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
0: November 3rd, 1994. Rolling Stone. Thanks, guys.